0: Hey, this is Star Wars author Delilah S. Dawson, and you're listening to Clashing Sabers Network.
1: Here we go again. I'm chewing. We're
2: home. I bypassed the compressor. You
3: were the chosen one!
2: Something truly special.
1: Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. <laughs> The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with multiple of my good friends. The first one is cooler than the daughter and Ahsoka training a Porg Jedi. (laughs) It's Lindsay.
2: I like it because it's so topical for our, for our discussion tonight. You well know, done. I was just,
1: I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm in the zone. I'm ready to do this. Uh, I, I'm excited. And we, we couldn't shows. do it. We could not do this episode without the person that I'm going to introduce next. She is, I'm just going to say, she's way smarter than she gives herself credit for. It's Adriana.
0: Oh, thank you. Uh, wait, we'll reserve judgment until after this <laughs>
2: episode. Listen, you were able to talk with me for an hour about Qui Gon and Shmi <laughs> and, and our ship for that, so, so I think you're smart enough to do anything.
1: Yo, I was listening to the Phantom Menace commentary you guys did today, and it is it is muy bueno. Let me sit. Let me just tell you, guys, get ready for Patreon. It's coming. I say that uh, Adriana doesn't give herself enough credit because we are talking about Mortis today. And on the last episode that we had Mortis come up for a minute, Adriana was saying, oh, I'm not I'm not good enough to to be talking with you guys. We're like, no, you're wrong. And uh, we were right that she was wrong. And by we, (laughs) I have to include the man who brought the concept up, who is about to break our brains talking about Mortis. Our friend from Happy Beeps. It's
3: Bill. Yeah, way to set the bar high, man. Do you, you know, know I, I usually try to set expect you know try to you know set something i could jump over now i feel like oh boy
1: i i'm a prequels Impressive. fan so i dig tragedy it's kind of my jam
3: I, that's cool you know
1: so, i mean i'm about it yeah.
0: who here is not a prequel fan?
1: <laughs> preach it's yeah you, you, you kind of have to be to be talking about things like Mortis, which is just a whole bunch of weird force stuff, which you don't get, I think, if if you don't have uh don't have the prequels. But before we get into to all of that, uh, just a couple quick announcements. As I mentioned, uh, we will have our Patreon coming. Uh, possibly the same week as this release, depending on how quickly I can get this thing edited. And so if you would like to um, subscribe to our Patreon and support our literacy nonprofit, uh, you can do that over at patreon.com slash Clashing Sabers. And you, of course, can always find those links on our Facebook group or on clashingsabers.net. And then I just wanted to send a big thank you to everybody who was kind enough to donate for uh, my birthday fundraiser for Clashing Sabers. Uh, For my 30th birthday, we were able to raise uh, $370 uh, that is going to go to getting books into uh, some classrooms across the country for kids when they go back to school next year. So that's super exciting. So thank you to everybody who liked or shared or donated or or anything like that. Uh, It really, really means a lot. And. I want to get into to Mortis really quickly here, so so I don't want to spend too much time on this. But Bill, we haven't had you on uh, in a little bit here, and you no. have uh, you've utilized quarantine quite well, I have to say, with uh, oh, with what you're star of, warsing. So yeah. tell us what you've been star warsing lately, and what you've been. Well,
3: th- you know this, and and listen before I get into this, you know, Brandon, I got I got to say, you know, the Patreon page, the, the fundraiser. Uh, it's clear to me that you've got nothing else going on in your life right now. <laughs> I'm free most of the day. Right, and I mean, you know, clearly that you know this is just a run-of-the-mill June for you since you've got so much extra time to throw in. But if, if I might say, if there is anything else that's happening for you, you know, in the next several weeks, let me pass on my warmest and most heartfelt uh, wishes and congratulations to you. Well, thank you. You are too kind. Yeah. So this actually started. uh, It started. uh, I guess it started in mid-March, I suppose, right when things were starting to get a little bit crazy, and we, you know, my, my office had more or less closed, and kids were out of school, and you know, we were, uh, everybody was really still adjusting to the notion of living in a fundamentally different way, and and in in my life, whenever I've had to face these sorts of these sorts of transitions, and I'm going back to I'm going back 30 35 years, you know, from when I was when I was a kid, uh, Star Wars always meant a lot to me. Right. It always helped me to put things into perspective. It always gave me an escape sometimes. It gave me a deeper understanding of, uh, of things sometimes. Uh, so uh, I, I threw a random idea out onto Facebook. Of, Who wants to watch Star Wars with me? And we uh, got a really, a really, really great response. And what we ended up doing was, uh, was doing just a Facebook Live watch party. Not that I was broadcasting Star Wars, understand, you know, everybody kind of plays it on their own. You know, Disney Plus was a big help in, in its regard. But, uh, you know, we, we all got on together and, and watched Star Wars. And we left the microphone on and we did, uh, you know, some commentary and some q and A. I don't know how you guys feel. Like, it's, I love hanging out with you guys because you guys are, 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 you know, you're, you're uh, you know, above me in a lot of ways in terms of your fandom and everything like that. Most people I know, however, are not. So I got to be the guy, you know, I got to be the guy that, that, oh, let's watch Star Wars with Bill. And, you know, we talked about it the entire time. And what was kind of cool about it was before we started, we we actually opened up the camera and just walked around what I call the Happy Beeps Museum, which is my, my basement. And we did a quick tour. Right uh, of the stuff that i 've got there, and uh, you know I walked through my favorite toys, my favorite uh, my favorite books and comics, uh, posters, and uh, souvenirs from the convention. Uh, Lindsay, your name might have come up don 't know um, <laughs> but uh, uh, what was really great about it was that people had such a good time that they wanted th- they wanted to do it again, so the next week, we watched Empire Strikes Back, and the Happy Beeps tour was focused on items from one thousand nine hundred and eighty, and we, we uh, We kicked off with, uh, you know, another review of the collection, and then also like a little discussion about what this movie is and why it's important, and and what people should be watching for. And then we watched again. And then uh, instead of jumping right to Return of the Jedi, we said, okay, we're going to take ourselves a step back. We're going to go back in time. We watched the prequels. Uh, We watched uh, Rogue One and Solo. This is all week after week after week. Uh, Last week we did The Last Jedi. And tomorrow night is, is sort of what I might call, I guess, the end of season one uh, of our weekly Star Wars watch parties, and what's been so great about it for me is, is uh, that it's brought in so many different facets of, of my, my friendship and family history. You know, People from high school, people from college, people from my church, uh, people from multiple jobs that I've had. Um, uh, you know the neighborhood I grew up in. Distant cousins. Everybody has kind of come onto this, and people are just talking about Star Wars every week for a couple of hours. And it's you know not only come to mean a lot to me. It's actually come to mean quite a bit to to, to some other people as well. And uh, it, you know to the point where people are are sending me pictures of them sitting down with their kids, uh, you know, with Disney Plus ready to go to for another Star Wars watch party with this nice, really great group of people. And uh, tomorrow night's the last night. Tomorrow night we're finally up to Rise of Skywalker and what we're doing this time actually, and for those of you guys who are Facebook friends with me, you might have seen I I put out a survey Say anybody who wants to uh, rank your your favorite Star Wars movies. Put them in order, one to 11, you know and uh, what we're going to do this time is my son Patrick and I are going to be on camera together before the movie starts and we're just going to go through, we're just going to review the last 10 weeks and talk about our favorite moments and the things that we still have in trouble with and uh, try to put it into context with what's going on in the world and, uh, and, and then you know kind of watch Rise of Skywalker, and then after that, I've had a lot of people who have who have said, "What are you going to do next? You know, are we going to go into the Mandalorian? Are we going to do Clone Wars? Are we going to uh, do Indiana Jones?" Uh, and honestly, I, I think I think we're just going to put a pause on it for a little while because this has been kind of a special a special time, and I don't want to uh, you know I don't want to. Uh, you know, immediately try to, try to replicate it or replace it. I think we're just going to get to sit with it for a little while, but as it's hard to believe that it's been 11, 12 weeks since all this started and to provide just a little bit of continuity, a little bit of comfort to, uh, to friends and family, young people, old people. um, It's been, uh, it's been one of the, (laughs) I don't know if it makes sense to say, but one of of the highlights of the last couple months is uh, doing this project with my son and, uh, uh, we're looking forward to tomorrow night, but I'm I'm gonna miss it when it's gone.
1: Yeah, that's super cool because like that's that's the core of Star Wars, right? Is it brings people together in in hard times, and you know for for everybody, you know uh, the struggle is different right now. You know, like uh, whether it's it's your job or you have family who are sick or the other things that are happening right now. Like everybody is experiencing all this really honestly like kind of traumatic stuff in different ways and to different extents right and so being able to have these stories of hope and these stories of community and you know even rebellion and resistance you know of of things that are not working things that are not the way that they should be um but in a in a in a right way you know um there's the old saying you know star wars is anti-war right because it's about the compassion and the love and the community and and how we make each other better and so to be able to do that like you were you were doing this before you know the whole like family zoom dinner and movie watching and things became a thing like you were you were at the forefront of that whether you realized it or not or you maybe, know
3: maybe maybe a touch ahead of the curve maybe like a day
1: yeah I but know. i mean like like it was you you saw a need you know and an opportunity and you filled it you know and and even though like we may look at like star wars as being something small and like oh what's the big deal of you know watching uh star wars on facebook with other people but when we're in this situation this this new normal you know yeah uh it it means a lot to people right it means a lot to people to have you know those other people who who understand the context through which you understand the world right Right. because that's what star wars does for a lot of us i have a i honestly have trouble sometimes explaining like beliefs that i have and really like how I understand things for people who haven't seen Star Wars or don't yeah. understand Star Wars, because that is the, the context through which, you know, we speak. So that's well, really I'll tell you cool. Something, yeah.
3: I, I'll tell you something funny, you know, so, so I've been a, I've been, you know, there's the difference between the fan and the super fan, right. And, you know, and, and I've been, I've been a collector and somebody that that really deeply loves these movies and these stories Uh, For a long time. Right. And of course, most of the people that you surround yourself are not that thing. Right. Yeah. And and it is a it has always been uh, it has always been if it's it's a curiosity. And I'm talking about people who who I love dearly and who love me dearly, you know, but they've always looked at this particular area of my life as a little bit of a curiosity. If not something to be a little bit amused by, and oh my God, this guy's basement. You know, is that really three <laughs> lightsabers up on the wall? And, and, <laughs> That's and it? Y- y- you're. Well, get your life together. I know, I'm, I'm slowing down. You're right. Uh, you know, but something happens when. It, it, under two circumstances. First of all, when there's a when a new movie comes out, right? People in a, to a certain extent, uh, to a certain extent, want to experience it through the eyes of somebody that really understands it and really loves it, right? So that's always a fun time for me, right? When, when when I can bring large groups of people together to share this experience in a way that makes it even a little bit more meaningful to them. But the other time that it happens is is during times of trauma, during times of of, of of, uh, of 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 stress and of difficulty, where where maybe people have a little bit of a little bit of trouble making sense of the world and about even how their own how they themselves are feeling about things, and you know this is what mythology and legend and, and religion and and uh, uh, um, you know that's what these kinds of stories do. It's they help us to express and articulate how we interact with the world. It's and
1: that uh, collective of unconscious. It's, it's as, uh, exactly what as it is. Joseph Cable ex-
3: talks about. It, yeah. Exactly so I want to begin today by briefly reviewing Jung's approach to the problem of the elementary ideas, which he calls archetypes of the unconscious. Now that immediately gives us a psychological ground on which to to build. That these are in some way features in the unconscious of the human animal. And experiences that come in through the nervous system are assimilated and interpreted in terms of these psychological uh, ground It brings uh, something archetypes. out in people. And I think that, um, to the extent that, that I've been able, through this exercise, just to even on a subconscious level, just to to provide a a safe haven for people, you know, to to engage with the world through story and these stories in particular, it's not nothing, you know. It's it's a it's it's a small but very meaningful uh, activity for me, you know.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm glad you did that, and I'm glad you've had such a good turnout, and and that it's meant a lot to. Yeah. to so many people because you know that's that's what George Lucas created these stories for and so to know that you know even 40 years later 43 years later uh you know a whole new company owning you know all, all this there's it, things are so different from from when George Lucas you know put pen to paper to to start to put together the idea of Star Wars um and so yeah. to the the fact that it's been able to stay what it is for so long is something that's it's it's really rare you know like you you see other things that the more you get of it the less it becomes um and that's not something that's true with star wars which is super exciting but speaking of the more you get of something we have bill on here so (laughs) we have to have an old school question and answer happy beep section
2: Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. I'm with the droid on this one. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats I'm with the droid on this one, buddy.
1: Come on. Alright, so, Bill, this is where I, uh, begrudgingly give you the proverbial reins. The, the, Proverbial microphone of power is yours. Take it away.
3: All right. So, so here's the thing. Every time we get together, um, we talk about toys, right? We talk about uh, action figures, Lego, diecast cars, bobbleheads, that sort of type of thing. But um, did you guys know that Happy Beeps actually began as a uh, as a media and Publishing catalog. I was Ooh, not I aware Ooh, I didn't
2: of that. know that. However, yes. it's what I use it for. So,
3: <laughs> yes. So, so where this actually started, I've never been a. Uh, I've I've never been a completist when it comes to, uh, when it comes to toys. I have a I have a, a toy collection that suits my needs. Right. You know my. Uh, uh, you know, the, the types of things that, that, that speak to me But when it comes to books and comics and magazines I literally tried to get every piece of paper ever printed in the English language And many not in the English language Either within or, or about the Star Wars universe And one of, what the, where Happy Beef started was I lost control of all this stuff right? I lost control not only of the volume of material that there was But all of the different ways that I wanted to search and sift and sort and, and, and sort through it uh, and I basically looked around to find the uh, I looked around to find a website that i that I could use that would that would meet my needs., uh, but I couldn't find one, so I built it. Right. So, um, uh, so I thought that what we might do today is we might talk about publishing history and um, about, uh, I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the database right now, and not counting things like second printings of comic books and stuff like that. But I but if we do include all of the uh, books and comics and magazines, plus all the digital media and broadcast media, TV episodes, virtual reality experiences, uh, uh, menus from restaurants, everything that you can possibly think of, um, the Happy Beeps has 8,781. Entries. I just call them publications, whether they're visual or or, uh, or or audio or otherwise. So a lot of those are associated to specific movies, right? So if I were to take a New Hope for example, there are 458 pieces of media that are directly associated with uh, with a New Hope, and that includes movies. It includes short stories. It includes novels and comics and and uh, behind the scenes books and art books. All of them were related specifically to that. Uh, you know, to that film. So my question to you, Brandon: Of the nine Skywalker saga movies, which which film is in second place in terms of the amount of publishing that has taken place since that movie's release, including both fiction and nonfiction?
1: All right. So we we are counting expanded universe canon. We're counting
3: counting everything. We're counting counting fiction, nonfiction, video, audio, print, digital, interactive, virtual reality. um, Every every fiction or nonfiction bit of media related specifically to that movie.
1: Related specifically to that movie. So not just that happens after it in the timeline. So that takes out Return of the Jedi because I was thinking about... Uh, most of the expanded universe.
3: That's right. Where um, there, there are a whole other categories for the things that fit in between the movies and the things okay. that relate to the saga as a whole. So right, what's but what we're, we're talking story about the movie that is, has the
1: most yes. going on around it. I am thinking like Clone Wars era would make sense. Well, so, I'm just
3: uh, the, the, I'm I'm giving you the yeah just of the of the eight remaining Skywalker saga.
1: Film. Right, I'm um, thinking Clone Wars era, you know, is ripe for storytelling, which would mean Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. So I am going to go with The Phantom Menace. Uh,
3: the Phantom Menace is actually in fourth place. Fourth Ooh. place with 218, 218 publications, fiction and nonfiction related to The Phantom Menace, which is actually pretty good. Uh, I would
2: have picked the same one.
3: It is not right? number two. like
2: the,
1: everything mm-hmm. going on, you know, marketing-wise around *Phantom Menace*. All right, so then what is it? What, what's what do we got?
3: The answer is *The Empire Strikes Back*.
2: Wow, I thought that <laughs> would have been first.
3: Okay. The Empire Strikes Back has 300 bits of fiction and nonfiction, and and if you think about this you think about it like all the different things that this includes right this includes for example you know short stories that are that are printed in West End games material right this includes uh, little comic shorts inside the Tales miniseries you know that from from uh, Dark Horse in the early 2000s right and uh, and of course it also includes all of the the little 40th anniversary treats that we're getting this this year in, in, in 2020 mm-hmm. uh, but people have been writing about uh, people have been writing about Empire Strikes Back for uh, for a long time uh, and uh, it is if uh, other than the original Star Wars from a nonfiction commentary behind-the-scenes point of view the Empire Strikes Back is among the most highly documented and commented upon piece of uh, piece of filmmaking in the uh, in the modern era, and that's where a lot of that stuff comes from.
1: That would make sense because you yeah. know it was such a big deal when uh, when Empire came out, and and everybody knew that Star Wars was a big thing. So that
3: that makes sense. Yes. Uh, so uh, let's see. One, maybe one more. Uh, this is probably an easy one. I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll. I'll uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to review. I was going to say what's which one's in last place, but I'm just going to tell you. Uh, and the answer is, of course, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, uh, because it only came out six months ago. Isn't that hard to believe, by the way? God, it's a uh, crazy six months. <laughs> yes. isn't, that, isn't that insane? It was anyway. wild. <laughs> uh, six months,
2: <laughs> a decade. What's the difference uh, anymore? What's the di- <laughs> yeah, like,
3: <laughs> things are moving slow. Yeah. Uh, but let's see, what does what everybody, uh, uh, I'll, I'll I'll throw it to uh, to Lindsay and to Adriana uh besides rise of skywalker what would you think are the the other two at the bottom
2: okay i ha huh. i mean i feel like it's so easy to say force awakens and the last jedi i'm not sure about force awakens though but there was there was a lot of kind of like quick little prequel type things before the force awakens. So I'm going to say the last jedi and I actually maybe think a new hope.
3: Well, a new hope is the is the biggest. A new hope has <laughs> really? 158. So I'm going to give you another chance.
2: Adriana, you take it. <laughs> okay,
0: well you and i share a brain because i was also (laughs) gonna say the last jedi not the force awakens because we had a lot of tie-in stuff or like a lot of little stories for the force awakens um and so you're saying like the time like that happens after return of the jedi does not count right that's right. So any of
3: the, any of the things that happen in between. Yeah, that's that's correct.
0: That's correct. Uh, and you said the Phantom Menace was fourth.
3: Yep, yeah, Phantom Menace was fourth.
0: I'm going to go with... Wait, okay, so does that mean the time between Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith, does that not count?
3: So that the, the Clone Wars uh, sort of media empire... Uh-huh. right is very much its own thing. And I'll tell you something that the Clone War that, that the Clone Wars content beats out almost every other movie in terms of the amount of stuff, the amount of activity books and coloring books and children's books and, and obviously TV episodes and tie-in books and, and commentary about the Clone Wars is massive.
0: Um, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I'm just gonna take a guess. And say, then, Attack of the Clones.
3: Adriana for the win. What? <laughs> the, oh, my God. The Rise of Skywalker has 46 entries, 46 fiction and nonfiction uh, things that have come out in its, you know, in its, in its, uh, uh, that are really sort of focused on that, on that film. Attack of the Clones has only 87 uh, it's been out for for eighteen years, and uh, it turns out Revenge of the Sith is is right next on the list with only one hundred and seven now the the reason for this is a, is a couple things one is uh, is exactly the point that we just made Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith are surrounded by the Clone Wars, and the degree to which the Clone Wars has has really kind of taken over those two movies as the most exemplary right the most illustrative uh, um, uh, uh, content from that era is is striking also right remember uh, i mean phantom menace was the first first star wars movie in in 15 years so obviously people went crazy for it right so you've got you've got over 200 things written in and about it uh but then after that frankly attack of the clones and and revenge of the sith um you know they because lucasfilm wasn't owned by disney at the time The promotion engine and the merchandising engine and the tie-in engine for those two films just wasn't as strong, wasn't as strong as you saw for, uh, for, you know, for Force Awakens. And of course it didn't have all the the sort of cultural weight of of Return of the Jedi. So um, although there's a ton of great stuff that you can buy if you want to immerse yourself in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, in comparison to the rest of the Star Wars saga, there's relatively few tie-ins and uh and expansions
0: Interesting. that hurts me <laughs> but you won let it hurt but you you, you still won <laughs> no but attack of the clones is is the best no, see, there should be more i will I, write it and i will publish it
1: <laughs> adriana here's how you frame it here's how you frame it they Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith are held in such high regard that nobody wants to mess with it. They want to just <laughs> let it sit there and be its perfect little self. So can I,
3: can I, can I say something else? So in, in support of tomorrow night's final Happy Beeps uh, museum tour, I put out this survey and asked everybody to, to rank their, their favorite Star Wars movies. Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones are, are at the bottom of the, the bottom of the
0: Ugh!
3: Which I think it, I understand yes. is uh, it's uh, it, it's painful, um, but the numbers don't lie, you know.
2: No, and you know what? If if um, if you're gonna lose to a movie, it might as well be the likes of Empire Strikes Back and. and
3: exactly. Yeah. I mean the, the the curve is way off, right? So even at the bottom of this particular pack, it's still a pretty good pack.
2: Yeah. Uh, so yeah.
3: No. It's not, like no it's cool.
2: like whenever there's Oscar snubs, and it's like, okay, I get that. This person would have been great, but who would you take off the list? Precisely.
3: <laughs> Precisely.
2: Well, congratulations, yeah. Adriana. You deserve that one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Brandon, that'll do it for this uh, for this uh, contribution.
1: Man, that's a that's like this is this is like my sweet spot. I even though I got it wrong, but like in terms of like the things I like to know. I I am not really uh, you know I get the the toys and stuff when I see them and I like them so I have you know obviously a lot of Ahsoka stuff and uh, you know whatnot but publishing man
3: you want to do didn't. a you want to do a very quick bonus question
1: heck yeah
3: all right how many comic adaptations are there of A New Hope
1: is this how inc- many is this including like the uh, alternate scripts and like the the comics yes. of like the okay. Um
3: yes. and it includes and it includes comics that were printed in Legends and so on that either retell A New Hope uh, or adapt scenes and so on from A New Hope from a particular perspective. How many comic readings of A New Hope do you suppose there are?
1: I am going to go with
3: twenty-seven.
0: Twenty-seven, Adriana. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was, I was. Gonna say it's probably something ridiculous, like fifty.
1: I was gonna say fifty-seven.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Lindsay, I'm you have go- seventy-seven. So I'm, no,
2: no, no. I'm doing. I'm doing prices right rules. I'm going last. I'm saying one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> under under, under closest right, should
2: go with win. seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: under, under prices right rules, Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay wins that one. There, the answer is yes. twenty-two.
2: Yeah.
3: Including, uh, including six, count them, six different bootleg Chinese comics uh, oh that, were, that were created uh, outside anybody's, uh, anybody, any licensing or merchandising agreement. They're hilarious. Um,
2: oh, I can't even imagine. Do you have them? Have
3: you read them? I, well, I've seen them. Uh, I yeah. have them. I have not read them because I do not read Chinese. Uh, I don't, I don't read yeah, any, I can see how any, that's. What I thing. don't read any dialect of Chinese, uh, but I do have them, and the art is fairly hilarious. Your lightsabers will make a fine addition to my collection.
1: All right, guys, you ready to do this? Let's do it.
2: I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. I've been really <laughs> looking forward to this. And, like, you know, Bill, I know you kind of gave us a small little snippet last time we spoke about this theory. And even that small little snippet has just been so all-consuming in my thoughts. So I really don't know if <laughs> well, I'm ready to, <laughs> to take this take this deeper dive. So let's well, find out.
3: Let's make it Ugh. happen.
2: Are you happy, child? Your master... Does he treat you well?
0: What concern of it is yours? I am your future. Your potential. This is a trick. There is a wildness to you, young one. Seeds of the dark side planted by your master. Do you feel it? No. He is like no other Jedi. Passionate, impulsive, but I
3: trust him with my life.
0: There are many contradictions in you,
3: and in him. Be
0: warned. You may may never see your future if you remain his student. Leave this planet!
1: Lindsay, you mentioned before the the break what uh, what Bill talked about last time um, when he brought up Mortis when we were discussing Ray for some some reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it all it's it's us. It all fits together somehow. So, Bill, you you had an interesting perspective. So, for people who uh, haven't gone back and listened to that episode, tell us uh, your interpretation of Mortis.
3: Sure. Okay, so let me, let me preface this by saying that uh, here, here's what I'm not doing, right? What I'm not doing is saying this is what I believe George Lucas intended when he instructed Dave Filoni to write a script about three um, uh, mystical, magical force beings that controlled the balance between light and dark. Uh, because I don't think that what I'm about to go through is, um, uh, is what George Lucas intended. I do believe that, that it is largely supported by the text, right? And what we know of Star Wars. And I'm, I'm sure a, a lot of you are, are familiar with the concept of uh, death of the author, right? Which is to say that whatever, you, whatever an individual sees and can justify based on the text of a, of a particular piece of art or literature or, uh, or, um, uh, or, or fantasy, the uh, you know is is legitimate and and is um, uh, the the idea of an author explaining or alluding to what he or she meant uh, is is significantly less important to one's enjoyment of of such a story, right? And uh, the reason I say that is is because um, I, I think the whole concept of what the uh, you know of, of what does Star Wars actually tell us about the balance between light and dark what does balance of the force actually mean right um, and how is it made manifest in reality as opposed to in terms of what, how individual people behave uh, is a little bit muddled there, there's a lot in Star Wars that uh, that you can that you can latch onto. Um, uh, that you can latch on to, depending upon what your own personal beliefs are. And ultimately, I think that's a strength, right? But I want to make clear as we talk about this, that this is something that works for me. And it is not something that I would use to try to take anything else away from from somebody else, okay? But um, because I don't, uh, I, 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 I don't... I choose not to believe in the balance of the force as primarily being between powerful light and powerful darkness, right? I don't believe that that's what balance of the Force actually means. And on the, on the surface, it seems like that's what Mortis is trying to tell us, right? That, that Obi-Wan and Anakin and Ahsoka come into these objective real, objectively real beings that have objectively real power in the universe, right? And one represents light and one represents dark and there's a father that's trying to maintain the balance between them. That's what the story tells us, right? But I actually don't think that, I don't think the real world works that way, right? I don't believe that, uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe the, that the force as it is presented to us in the rest of the Star Wars movies works that way. So what I actually believe, right, what I see when I, when I watch the Mortis trilogy is a battle that is going on inside the soul and ultimately inside the psychology of Anakin Skywalker, Okay. Um, and I think you know the the possibility that that experience is influenced by uh, by in-universe myths and legends about uh, about gods and monsters that have been related to the Force. I think that's possible, but I think that what's being made manifest with the uh, with the three characters that we know and love is something that's going on inside of Anakin, right? And because Anakin at this point in the story is struggling so deeply and and so repressively with his angels and his demons, right? Uh, And we know, right, we know from The Last Jedi and we know from from The Rise of Skywalker that powerful uh, use of the Force can create experiences that seem real. Right? We've seen it happen deliberately, right? We've seen it happen where, where, where characters have deliberately created projections to, to make people believe they're experiencing something that they're not actually experiencing, right? But when I look at Mortis, when I see that, that story, what I see is something... I, I see a, a, uh, an experience inside Anakin Skywalker, right? Triggered by something that we don't quite understand, but that experience is so powerful that those three characters Actually, actually, are going through this journey, but the but the the individuals and the personalities that they meet are manifestations of of battling elements within the soul of Anakin Skywalker. And uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about the like, the evidence for and, and against all this, but uh, the 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 implications of that, right? The implications of of that, if you know, if if it's true. Right, are that this, this this series of scenes here was the last opportunity, the last opportunity, um, uh, as far as Anakin's real kind of heart and his growth is concerned, uh, to find that balance within himself, right? To find uh, the you know the 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 ability to hold on to the light. This was an experience where Anakin you know is is desperately trying to you know hold on to his integrity with his teeth. Uh, and this this these three episodes show his failure they show his failure to do it and while on the surface it's it's his battle with these three external entities i choose not to see it that way i choose to see this as this is this is a metaphor for what's going on inside his head and because of the, 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 the his power in the force that actually create it was powerful enough to create experiences for other characters as well for other individuals as well um, so let me stop there and say that's well, that was that's the long version of what I.
1: <laughs> I think said. I think you know obviously like you said there's there's evidence for and against it but the I mean it could be something that's a, like a shared consciousness between uh, but be- between the characters for sure um, but I think you know the the thing that we have to keep in mind is that anakin in a way is the force right he was literally created by the force itself you know um and he is the chosen one he's the one that's supposed to bring and does bring balance to the force so he in in a metaphorical cambellian way is the force and so it would make it would make sense and you you brought up balance and so i kind of want to go through like each episode and we can kind of discuss you know uh What's going on in the meaning and, and questions and, and ideas that we have from them, and in, in the first episode, Overlords, there is the scene where uh, Anakin essentially has to tame the son and daughter who are uh, holding captive Ahsoka and Obi Wan. Which it's really interesting that you know Ahsoka is being held by the daughter, and she becomes the daughter, and, and Obi Wan is part of the reason Anakin falls. Anyways, that aside. <coughs>
3: Uh, just, just drop that. <laughs> just leave that there.
1: Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, just- <laughs> no big, no big deal. But no, the the interesting thing I noticed when watching it is you actually hear Vader's breathing once Anakin brings both of the the Mortis gods down. Uh, and so, I was kind of thinking about, about that, right? Because sound is something that Lucas used in in. Very particular ways, you know, um, to build his world and, and to tell a story. And so thinking about Anakin and the balance, I notice that he's acting out of aggression in that scene, right? So he does provide a momentary balance, but the dark side is still consuming because he he acts out of that aggression and it's that action, it is the sun realizing that there is a being stronger than him that spurs the Sun on to push even harder towards his selfish ambitions which sends everything out of balance
3: yeah I think that's a I think that's a really that's it's, a an, it's an important observation well and, right? and yeah.
1: I should I should preface like probably my entire conversation here with how I understand balance. And I understand balance the way that George Lucas under, you know, presented balance. Uh, I can't remember which interview um, it was in particular, but he, George Lucas basically said the, you know, light and dark exist, but the light side can't be, or excuse me, the dark side cannot be something that is active and, and has agents and agency, if you will. Uh, going towards the light is balance not it's not yes. you know this this weird concept of great jedi because the dark side consumes it's all consuming it, it part of what the dark side is and and part of you know who palpatine who is the manifestation of the dark side is is the power that he has is never enough you're senator on naboo never enough you're the supreme chancellor never enough you're the emperor never enough you're immortal never enough you know like it's never enough, and so it's all consuming. And the way that I look at it is, and, and this is maybe a little bit of a crude metaphor, but hopefully it gets the point across. It's like cancer. You can't have cancer in your body, not treat it, and still consider yourself healthy. It just there. That's a that's a, a you you can't. It's impossible to to say, oh, I'm healthy, I'm good, I'm safe. You know, all of that when you have living cancer spreading in your body, right? But you can take steps to get rid of the cancer, you know, um, and then it will always be a threat. You will always be more susceptible, maybe than other people, but you will be able at at a point to consider yourself healthy, right? And, and healthy being balance in this in this uh, this aspect. So, Adriana, do you think? I mean, what's your what's your view on balance and kind of how? These mortis gods speak to that.
0: So it's like the sun says, right?
1: How simple you make it. Light, Light and dark, dark, as if there is one, one without the other.
0: And it kind of falls into that whole, like, you can't have one without the other type thing. And then you, I, something that you mentioned um, got me thinking about Catholicism. I'm Catholic, um, you know, and so we're all born uh, uh, in Catholicism everybody is born a sinner and so that's why you're baptized and the whole the whole thing is like kind of like what you were saying like um like you're born a sinner but you have to make those conscious choices to to be to do good and to be good and that's why you have your baptism that's why you do your confirmation um and so like like what you're saying um I really think it's, it's, they both exist, but it ultimately, the choice has to be to go towards the light side or to do good and to be good.
1: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, you're definitely onto something there. And I think the, the films definitely back that up, right? Because it's all about the choices that, that you make, you know, nothing, even, even Anakin, as much as he was manipulated and put into to situations that he really couldn't have uh, won in. He-
3: we are indebted to you for your bravery, everyone, Kenobi, and you, young Skywalker. We will watch your career with great interest.
0: And like the father says, like when he t- at the in the last episode, he tells his son, "Like I knew there was still good in you." So even though he is of the dark. Um, he still has that ability to go towards the light, to yeah, have good. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: And and I mean, it, it's that's an idea that that is present throughout because in the first episode, they are uh, they're talking a lot about guilt. I noticed that. So when the sun manifests as me, he says, "Your guilt does not define you. You define your guilt," and then the the father says to anakin when he's balancing the two that you must you must release your guilt and free yourself by choosing uh and he's talking about choosing between go leaving and and staying and becoming the new father and they they kind of used guilt as a fulcrum for how things will go for anakin um so which, you know, there's also that idea of, like, Ahsoka becomes Fulcrum, you know, and he feels guilty about her and things like that. But,
2: Lindy <laughs> You're just going to keep leaving these little... <laughs> I'm- yeah, dot, dot, dot. Exactly. Uh, dot, dot, gonna dot, gonna do.
3: dot, We'll just do another podcast. But that's
2: and <laughs> next week on...
0: <laughs> so, next Lindsay. week on Mortis episode 57. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Clashing Mortis. <laughs> uh, um, Lindsay, why what's your your point of view on why the gods are appealing to Anakin's guilt rather than trying to utilize the the good in him because it it feels like they are the father in particular is almost trying to make him feel guilty for caring about the people that he cares about. Sure you know instead sure. of using that to, to, to be something to help him think of something bigger than himself.
2: Well, the easy answer here is the obvious fact that it's easy to play on someone's guilt and use that to manipulate them. And I struggle to use the word manipulate there because I think we are supposed to understand the father as a more loving and benign god. The interesting thing here, though, is we talk so much about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And this theory, I think plays into it really, really well, you know, even with the disclaimer that we are killing the author here, you know, this is personal interpretation. This isn't necessarily what Lucas or Filoni meant, but the fact that they're referred to as mortis gods, I think is an important thing to remember when answering that question Brandon because both of those men were so enthralled as they should be with the concept of Greek mythology and all of that was about these gods coming down and interacting with the people and that's kind of what's being done through this entire arc you know again it's not that we're calling them yes sometimes we refer to them as force fielders They refer to themselves that way. There's there's all these different names that we can assign them, but nine times out of ten, what do we call them? We call them the Mortis gods. When we think of the gods of Greek mythology, the big theme there is how did they play on people's guilt? How did they go down and they, again manipulate people to do the things they wanted to do almost every single greek god did this there's some element of trickery involved so i think it's important that the father especially takes anakin and takes his guilt for Shmi, and uses that to give these tricks you know and and the son is certainly playing on this um But the fact that we're now starting to see a lot of these themes from Greek mythology come in and start to be utilized, guilt especially, and how you can manipulate someone, it really plays into, I think, kind of the, the biggest piece of this, and why, Bill, your theory is so important, is a lot of it is dealing with, can any man, a Jedi especially, ever truly be free, or is he at the disposal, in this case, at the will of the force? You know yeah. is a man yeah. free or is he just playing to any particular god?
3: And and I think Lindsay, you know, like that that's why it matters. That's why it it matters whether or not these these gods are real, right? Or are they uh, or, or are they manifestations of Anakin's psychology right because it you know if we are to preserve this notion uh, that that these characters are free right that these characters uh, do have real legitimate agency to to put them into the same universe as as um, entities this powerful um, it, it definitely plays with that Right and and although Anakin you know talks about the or and the or these characters refer to one another as uh, you know manifestations of the light, manifestations of the dark, and the and the balance in between them, the way they behave isn't really like that, you know. Um, it, it's it's uh, it, it, it's almost a little bit more like an id, ego, super ego type of a thing. Right, you know where the you know where the daughter is, you know she's she is she appears to be a manifestation of the light, but what she really is 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 simply an ideal, you know. And the and the um, uh, and the the son is is you know more reptilian, right, and is is interested in in you know things like raw power and, and greed. And it's the father that's, that's sitting in this, in this position where he appears benevolent, right? He's, 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 he has all of the visual iconography of a benevolent god. You know, the long beard and the deep, you know, soulful voice and all of these wonderful things. But the truth is that right out of the gate, he begins abusing that, you know, he, he orders that same scene that you were talking about, Bran. He orders his children, the light and the dark, you know, to kill Anakin's Padawan and his master, and and he instructs Anakin to dominate, to dominate the light side and the dark side, as a means of, you know, as a means of saving his friends. Which, as you said, Brandon, is itself a manifestation of the dark side. Which is why it, it makes more sense to me to think about the father as as just this is Anakin's ego. This is his broken, uh, 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 distorted, perverted. Sense of how to of how to navigate these conflicting sides of of his nature, and 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 as I say, it's like it, it makes more sense to me to think of it as you know uh, uh, these these are all him, you know it's all him trying you to know, work through this stuff, you know. So yeah,
2: I want I want to add to that too because one of the kind of more important pieces here too, at least in my opinion, is what they're using. To make Anakin especially feel guilty about. You know, and Mm -hmm. again, I know Mm -hmm. we're we're really dealing with Anakin, but Obi-Wan, it's so important here too, because they're kind of playing on the sins that our heroes are keeping hidden. You know, I I Mm. do think it's important that Anakin will own up to certain mistakes. Even Obi-Wan will own up to certain character flaws. You know, Anakin's very headstrong he's very defiant and he he leans into this he owns it and he lets others judge him on this and that's okay to him and it's it's very easy to sit there and say these are my flaws these are my sins it's okay for people to judge me on these but what it's not easy to do is take those things that you haven't quite admitted to yourself yet you don't want other people calling you out on the sins or the flaws that you personally have not acknowledged or yeah. have not broadcasted yeah. yet. Big and time. now they're in this place where they are with their deepest, darkest sins that they mm-hmm. haven't confessed to anyone yet. And all of a sudden it's it's out there. You know, they, they now have to deal with these physical manis- manifestations of it.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and, I, and I do think, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Go well, I was just going to say, you know, that idea is kind
1: of present because the son presents this vision to Anakin of, you know, what he's going to become in an, in a, an effort to help him prevent it, right? And that's where we see, you know, uh, the, the smoke of you know, uh, Vader's helmet behind him and things like that. And it's the father that erases that from his memory right which always kind of bothered me because it was like what's what's the point of even showing that if Anakin's not going to remember it right it makes it a lot more tragic if he has seen that and still is not able to prevent it but looking at it Lindsay in the way that you presented that idea of you know the sins that we haven't admitted to ourselves that could be kind of what's going on here because you know Anakin he while he's admitted to the action of killing the tusken raiders and he's admitted you know that he is upset you know that he lost his mother he hasn't really dealt with it you know and so um because something that that you know is is present throughout here that I think it's lost in the conversation about Mortis is that like Bill said they're not these are not the light side and the dark side. The daughter is not the light side, and the son is not the dark side. They they very specifically say, the daughter says, My nature is to do what is, is good, his nature is to do what is evil, you know? Um, that's their I think nature. They said, I think it was
3: selfless and selfish. S- selfless and selfish. Yes, that was yeah. it.
1: Thank you. And and that's super important because it says in his nature, you know, that's the natural thing for them to do but that doesn't mean that's who they have to become right well, whereas the light the, side and the yeah. dark side are those are what they are the light side is selfless the right side or the the right side the dark side is selfish you know um but these these beings have the ability to change and adjust and in, throughout the arc we're seeing son go through that we're seeing the dark side consume him right we're seeing the daughter Having to actually live out the selflessness in passing on her life force to Ahsoka, so it's
3: interesting. If I might interject there, Brandon, that's that's another reason why I choose not to believe that these characters are actually real, uh, because because they refer to they refer to their inherent natures as being leaning toward the light and the dark. And just as a as a personal philosophy of mine, I don't believe that. I like like Adriana. I grew up Catholic. I'm Presbyterian now, and and I believe that in in the real world, um, and in in by extension, you know, in in the in the universe of Star Wars as well, all characters all characters are by nature flawed, but pointed toward the light, in equal measure, right? And the the idea of having, of, of having. Uh, beings and manifestations, whether mortal or or immortal, that are by their nature uh, more light or more dark, goes against a lot of a lot of what I believe, uh, which is another reason why I, I choose to interpret these stories as they don't actually exist.
1: And that's something that's interesting about this particular arc, right? Is it, it takes a lot of interpretation of what you believe, you know? Um, yes. This this absolutely. more than any other arc, I would say, in in Clone Wars, and possibly even any other story in Star Wars is something that, you know, our own personal beliefs and, and uh, backgrounds comes into play. And so, to, to me, I kind of look at it like the world between worlds, where it, it's it's there, but it's not there. It's something else. It's somewhere else. Is Are there really all these portals that... Ezra sees that can go back in time. Maybe, maybe not. You know, was Palpatine really there? Maybe, maybe not. Did Ray go (laughs) to the world between worlds in Rise of Skywalker? Maybe, maybe not. Like, the point. The point is the message, not the the actual physical place. So, if there's a mortis or not, is really irrelevant because of. What it means, what this story means for the audience, and, and our interpretation of Star Wars, and what it ends up meaning for yeah. the characters, right? Because they take these things outside of, of, you know, the uh, the, the planet that Mortis is.
3: I think it's interesting you brought that up, Brandon, because of course, the other time that we see the gods of Mortis in Star Wars, is on their way into the world between worlds yeah. there are lithograph- you know there are there, there are visuals that actually show these these uh, these beings these manifestations so clearly they if we just accept the text of star wars at a bare minimum the you know even though anakin says very clearly the jedi have never spoken of you right well at some point right at some point the the, the whether it was the jedi or, or, or someone else was aware either either mythologized or 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 built some manner of religious belief around these around these these, these creatures, um, and uh, it, you know so so to sort of trace back, well, how is it that they actually show up in a dream of Anakin's? <laughs> Yeah, right? is a, is an interesting question, but I think it's important to know that n- despite what Anakin says that the Jedi have never spoken of you, they are not completely separate from the from the world that we know of in Star Wars. Those those um, uh, at, at a bare minimum m- myths of the, those creatures were known by somebody because we because those the, that artwork was uh, was visible.
1: So. Well, and I mean, there's. You know, Lindsay made a really good point and a good connection with them being like the Greek gods, right? Where the Greek gods are not what we view God as, you know, in in modern Western culture, you know, where it's this, you know, one all powerful being controls everything, omnipresent, you know, omnipotent, all that stuff, right? The Greek gods were not that. They had certain. They were almost more like superheroes, you know, archetypes. where they, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, and so. Um, I think that, you know, is, is something to keep in mind. And I also think that there. I, I have a, a headcanon about the Force that the Force allows you to, to see things that should not be in your memory or should not be in your consciousness in an effort to keep itself in balance. And so you, the, the scene with Luke and Leia, where Leia talks about remembering her mother, I really think that that's something that the Force kind of attached mm-hmm. to her in a way so that, you know, she could be... She could have a, a better understanding of, of what her parents were doing for her, which is really important for her development, and a, and a way to, you know, connect with Luke in that moment. All these kinds of things, right? There, I, I have love an article. that, actually. I have yeah. an article on that if you want to you want to go look at that in, in depth. But the, the point being that, you know, the Force... Shows you things in a way that you can understand it and that you can, you know, kind of put a tangible aspect uh, and tangible element to it. And so I'm thinking about Altar of Mortis, which is the second episode when the sun takes Ahsoka from Anakin. And I, I really think that this is how, when we get to season five and, and even uh, to to Twilight of the Apprentice, this is how Anakin sees Ahsoka's leaving. You know, the Sun takes Ahsoka away from him and turns him, uh, or turns her to to the dark side. And I think that's how Anakin sees Ahsoka leaving, with the Jedi taking the place of the Sun as the hand of the dark side. So, Lindsay, am I am I getting pretty flexible here, or do you think that that's something that we can? that there is definitely a connection going on there between the two.
2: So I, before we dive too much farther into that, I want to bounce off your theory about the Force being able to show collective memories and just point out that by that logic, you might be able to kind of settle one of your other gripes. You know, you had mentioned that you weren't sure if, and I agree with you, that you aren't sure if you really like that the Force just, or the father, in this case, wiped away Anakin's memory. Because if he doesn't remember this, why does it matter? But by your theory, if the Force can show you a memory that you weren't a part of, it should also be able to eliminate a memory that you had. Um, so we can certainly later on get into the merits of is this something that should have happened or not, you know, in terms of Anakin forgetting. Um, but I think your force and memory theory is a nice way to explain or settle that particular gripe. Um, in terms, though, of the second question, or, or the real question with is this how he he sees Ahsoka leaving and the Jedi coming in? I think i Yeah, yeah, I think I could get on board with that. Um, I don't know if it's totally correct, just because everything else that was foreshadowed was so matter-of-fact. You know, we heard Vader, we saw Vader, we know for a fact that this is what Anakin saw, but nothing else was really left up to much interpretation so even though for us you know not quite in hindsight but kind of in hindsight we know where the jedi are going we know what's about to happen for us everything makes sense but i don't think anakin had he remembered would be able to say okay here is what happened this is what it means I can go home and I can action on this. I can work to prevent this. I can have this self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, everything else was so airtight. I don't know necessarily if if the intent was to leave something that open to interpretation, but poetically mm-hmm. it works.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the, the interesting thing is, like, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, they remember... Mortis, there's just those particular like the visions that Anakin has that the father erases from them because at the end they you know, they kind of wake up and and are shocked that Rex doesn't know that they've been gone for a while and and uh, didn't see uh, the planet and everything like that. So that 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 part about Ahsoka, you know. Uh, turning to the dark side, you know, being manipulated to the dark side, I think is really interesting. Be- for the poetic elements in particular, because it's it's kind of what happens to the Jedi, right? Where the, the Jedi you know, get manipulated to become weapons of the dark side, which is what happens to Ahsoka, and are then easily discardable by the dark side, Palpatine, when they are no longer useful, right? And you have uh, certain characters, certain Jedi that survive on, which would be the Anakin and Obi-Wan in this instance, who are you know the ones that keep the, the spirit of the Jedi alive. So there's a lot of it, it's really interesting to, to think about this and, and try to, Lindsay, as you said, like a one-to-one um, straight connection to particular characters in the story. And I think we get that. Uh, especially with Ahsoka you know, um, Ahsoka having, you know, she dies and then the the uh, Anakin transfers the daughter's life force uh, to her which, you know, for everybody saying that was a new power, kind of happened right there um, huh. and, and Ahsoka has become kind of this not necessarily manifestation of the light side, but a beacon of the light right, and we see that with uh, with Morai following her around and being present, uh, you know, at the end of uh, Season 7 of uh, Clone Wars. And so it's really interesting to think about that, you know, if, if Ahsoka is, you know, becomes the light, Anakin becomes the dark, you know, what's what's the balance that's going on there, right? And I've talked before about my my theory on why Ahsoka is not a part of the Galactic Civil War even though she's alive is because she stays on Malachor for the war because she has to be the light to penetrate that darkness and so I think that kind of matches up with with what we see here in terms of you know these characters that go into Mortis taking on the characteristics of these Mortis gods.
3: I
2: I mean let's just take it (laughs) Let's (laughs) let's take it one step further though because you know bill i agree i think that this is so important with you know just the overall theory that this is something that's happening inside the soul and the mind of anakin and we know from the cave scenes that the forest can project itself i agree with that however That being the case, we also need to be able to explain that, yes, this is happening, but here's why Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are part of this. Here's why it's not just Anakin going Mm -hmm. there alone. Here's why it's not just this one internal solo journey. There's a reason there's these two other characters. And I think that, you know, I've always said that the Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka dynamic is really important because I've always taken it as Obi-Wan can symbolize everything Anakin had been through up to that point. You know, he was there when Anakin was going through these initial trials with the Council. He was there when Anakin was a Padawan and then and then going on to become a knight. And ideally, spoiler alert, it didn't happen. He never became a master. Um, but Ahsoka, on the other hand she kind of always represented what Anakin could potentially be and all the things he could potentially do. So it's this real dichotomy between Obi-Wan being the past and Ahsoka being the future. And I think that's something that so often gets overlooked during Mortis is that while Obi-Wan especially was like, we need to get out of here, we need to freaking go. Even though Ahsoka was always kind of fixing the ship and playing her role, doing her part. From the beginning, she seemed a little bit more content to stay. You know, yeah. while Obi-Wan was very worried about the changing weather patterns and how quickly and then slowly time was moving, Ahsoka was never so much worried as she was curious. Yeah. And it was one of those things where, yes, even though it was a deception when she's constantly being pulled back and forth between fix the ship, don't fix the ship. We're staying. We're going. What do you want? To, you know, she she always kind of just goes for that ride. And I think it's important that the future element of Anakin is the one saying, I think we're okay here. You know, if if this is where we're supposed to be, so be it. This yeah. this is okay. But it's the past version of Anakin that's saying, you cannot have good versus evil you cannot have so much power residing in these three people. That's the past. That's the Jedi training mentality of Anakin saying that where he in his heart kind of knows that moving forward, maybe you can be all three of these things.
3: Hmm. I think, uh, I I, I think you're, you're, you're hitting on something really important. And I think that, that, you know, Ahsoka's um, Ahsoka's character has always been just that, that, you know, that servant warrior, you know, where she'll, she, she really does believe that wherever she is at that particular moment is where she's supposed to be. And, and, and what can I do in this particular instance to help the people around me? And she never loses that. That's what, she doesn't concern herself so much with prophecy and destiny and the chosen one and everything like that. She's just a friend and, and, and she never loses that, which is what makes her so great. But you know, Obi-Wan has a, has a great, great line In the in the third episode here, uh, where he says something along the lines of, you know, if we're not supposed to be here, right, or or no, if we're not supposed to interfere, right, then it begs the question, what are we, what are we here for in the first place, right? If all you were, right, so the way the way that I kind of think about it was, wow, this is amazing. Like Anakin, Anakin, without even realizing it, invited them. Anakin, you know, if 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 my approach to this is is the correct one, and this is this is the battle for Anakin Skywalker's soul, he invited his two best friends into this, you know, in, into this labyrinth with him, uh, and and you know, and Obi Wan's line, it's just like, well, well, and why, right? Well, I'm here to help. What can I? What can I do? I may not belong here right i may not have a scripted role to play but what is it that i can do to help and it's just tragic of course that it didn't end up <laughs> didn't end up working but but anakin reaching out for them reaching out to you know to say please go through this 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 trial with me is incredibly powerful mm-hmm.
1: and i mean anakin's story more than than a lot of other characters we get is defined through his relationship with others, right? We look at, okay, why did he fall to the dark side? Because of the loss of Qui-Gon and Shmi and uh, Padme, and to an extent Ahsoka, you know, the disconnect he felt with Obi-Wan. How is he kept as Darth Vader for so long, even though there's still light in him, you know, because of his relationship with Palpatine? How is he redeemed because of Luke? All of that stuff, right? And so when we look at it through this lens, it would make sense that the people that he cares about are there with him you know and going through that journey with him and i think there's an interesting aspect um there's one point um in altar of mortis where obi-wan is talking to the daughter and he says you and anakin combined have the power to stop him with regards to to the son, right and this is obviously before the daughter dies this is before you know they go get the the dagger and everything so then daughter dies and you, her life force is is restoring Ahsoka, who now becomes the daughter. So, do we think if, if Ahsoka had, you know, we've seen in Season 7 of Clone Wars, she was always right on the verge of saying something to Anakin. Telling him something. Connecting with him in some way that she never ended up doing. Do we think that Ahsoka and Anakin combined could have actually won the day. It could have actually stopped Palpatine. um, And and is this something that Anakin maybe understands in his subconscious that he's not willing to admit? Adriano, you haven't chimed in in a minute. What do you think on that? Do you think that Ahsoka and, and Anakin, if they had stood together, would they have made the difference that would have prevented everything?
0: Um, can I just talk about something else really quick? Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, okay, so are any of you guys uh, familiar with the Teen Titans uh, cartoon?
1: A little bit. I know it exists. Yeah. In theory, not okay.
0: yeah. in
2: practice.
0: Um, so basically, um, Raven. Uh, she has this like mirror, and it's um, it's like basically like her inner her inner self and like uh Beast Boy and Cyborg they accidentally get trans they go through the mirror and they're in her inner self and they can see like there's like these like huge creatures and there's like different parts of her um and there's her father that she has to face um and she can only fa- she only faces him and wins when her friend when um her friends are there to help her, uh, so I just kind of reminded me, like you guys were talking about that and I'm like that's very much like what happened in Teen Titans, that um, Raven had to go on this journey but she couldn't do it without like these two people to help her, uh, so I just thought that was something interesting to point out and uh, you guys should really watch Teen Titans. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, that's a very hero's journey thing, right? And that's the difference between, you know, Anakin and Luke. Is Luke has those people there with him, and yeah. Anakin, in a way, pushes them away or doesn't accept their help. You know. Um, well,
3: I think you know Anakin was deliberately isolated. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, sure. the, the entire plot to remove Ahsoka from the Jedi Order, the entire plot to send Obi Wan off to fight Grievous, right? All of all of that, and, and ultimately, you know, to try to kill Obi Wan on the uh, on on the uh, the, the flagship. Uh, all of that was for the purpose of getting Anakin alone because the, at our when we're alone we're the most vulnerable we're the most uh, you know susceptible to um, to grief and to fear and to and to anger and it's those relationships that prevent us from falling through those cracks and Palpatine knew that it's diabolical uh, but very deliberate yeah
1: so Adriana you 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 still didn't answer the question. <laughs> okay. But uh, okay, <laughs> I think you were. I think you were onto to something there with um with this, right? And and bringing up what what Bill said about the idea of isolation, right? Anakin does get isolated. He even gets isolated here, right? Everything's focusing on him and what he's going to do and his actions. So, do you think that maybe this is start the the beginning of a break for him? You know where things start to fall apart and. And he loses the connection that he should have with Ahsoka that could help him and her to to prevent what happens.
0: Um, I'm kind of I'm gonna be a little bit pessimistic. Like I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think that they even together that they could have done something to prevent it. Um, just because, um, I kind of feel like this arc. Um, really it it it's outlining what's going to happen and the whole thing with Anakin being the chosen one and bringing balance to the force um, we never the, the prophecy doesn't say this is exactly how he's going to bring balance to the force or when he is going to bring balance to the force um, so when you're talking about um could he have with Ahsoka? I think ultimately uh, the answer is no, because maybe it was always supposed to end up like that. And it's kind of interesting because um, you know you have the son who says, "I'm going to destroy the uh, the Sith and the Jedi." Um, so mm, this then you bring up this whole like concept of jedi and sith like maybe they're not supposed to exist if you want to have balance with the force um does am i making no that
1: that makes sense like like within the if if you define things within the confine of these organizations rather than the the higher power they serve if you will then that's where where you get into trouble right which is a is a thing we see throughout the the prequels is as the jedi become more and more institutionalized you know they become less and less connected with the force and so bringing up this idea of balance kind of like perfectly leads into the third episode which is ghost of mortis because that's like that one really hampers down on this idea of balance um and, and the father talks to Anakin about balance being lost. He thought bringing Anakin would fix things, would rain in the sun, and, and be able to maintain balance. And I was thinking about... I was, I was watching Ghost of Mortis like a couple days after Dave Filoni dropped the knowledge bomb of Duel of the Fates on uh, on the Mandalorian documentary series and how Qui-Gon is the... Uh, the father that Anakin needed, right? And so I was thinking about, okay, is the if the father is Qui-Gon, in a sense, you know, father brought Anakin to Mortis to fix things, but it made it worse. In the same way that Qui-Gon brought, brought Anakin into the larger galaxy, into being a Jedi to make things better, but it made things worse, right? And... Both of those things happen because of the loss of a father, which I think is just in the, the overarching like story that is Star Wars is something that, that we get quite a bit. In. And I liked how they kind of interpreted that here where Anakin has the potential to take over that role of father but chooses not to in the same way that Obi-Wan to an extent has the the opportunity to to become a father to anakin but he c- becomes a brother right more than a father which is is not what anakin needed so if this is happening in his subconscious somewhere you know this is his it's kind of a freudian idea right of like instead of the mother it's the father but it's, it's very freud in calling out for for that which you don't have
3: yeah, I think that the notion of a father and his children controlling the, you know, pulling the strings on the universe is an extraordinarily Freudian idea. Um, uh, but I think as I was watching this today, I did identify a corollary to my theory, uh, or maybe I should say an addendum, um, because because obviously Qui-Gon is here, right? Qui-Gon is in Mortis, right? and the guidance that he gives to Anakin, you know, because at this point, Anakin is, you know, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to kill the sun? Am I supposed to destroy the dark side? Or am I just supposed to leave and, you know, just let whatever happened happen? And he's, he's panicking at this point, and Qui-Gon comes in and says, you're gonna find another way. You know, you're not gonna kill him, and you're not just gonna leave. Remember your training, right? And what that indicated to me was, um, yes, this is all going on inside Anakin's head, right? It is all sort of a a psychological battle for what remains of his his soul at this point. Uh, But I decided while watching it today that he didn't do it to himself. It wasn't a random um, neurological spasm that created this, but rather it was Qui-Gon Jinn who did it to him. Uh, I think actually, after having watched it today, I think it was was a training exercise (laughs) It was a
2: true? I, I, I always have really visceral yeah. reactions to things, and then remember that this is a podcast and no one can see me. <laughs> but, but, but when you said you think it was Qui Gon, I really threw my hands up in the air with like a yes.
3: <laughs> I think yeah. I think the one character, like the one spirit that actually is not a figment of Anakin's, uh, of Anakin's mind in this whole three episode arc, I think is Qui Gon. I think that's actually him. And I think it's actually Qui-Gon saying, dude, this is a test, you've gotta figure this out. If you don't, we're all lost. And remember at this point, you know, Qui-Gon is is beyond uh, you, you know, past and future. He knows where, where all this stuff is is headed, right? and i think by by triggering this, this this psychological manifestation which which pulls in anakin and obi-wan and ahsoka and um uh, and, and you know turns the battling elements of anakin's soul into these real live uh you know beings i think it's i think it's quigon trying desperately to to stave off disaster
1: i mean that definitely has some merit right because like you said qui-gon is in the force now you know and even though we only hear him as a voice you know he can't manifest in the same way that obi-wan and yoda can like this is a hub of the force or is happening through the force so it wouldn't make sense you know that he could take a a more concrete form like we see with him being a force ghost and i know Lindsay is probably thinking the same thing I am right now about Qui-Gon looking back at the old prophecies and the things the the mm. text of past Jedi in a way that was kind of frowned upon um, by the the order as a whole. They didn't like getting into that old uh, stuff that uh, came before. And so, I mean, it would make sense that he would have, you know, a Memory or an understanding of this myth that, or you know, this story or whatever it may be that is the Mortis gods, and uses it as a means to to convey that message to to Anakin, because right, like Anakin, like we said, Anakin looks out for the people that are around him, and so he he is always going to do that. So you have to bring them in into the story, right? So, I guess that leads me to, you know, this idea of, like, what is Anakin supposed to do? Because this is what I get conflicted with. And, and this is going to kind of be a nice place to kind of wrap up the conversation, because, like we said, Anakin, this is happening in Anakin. Whether, whether it's happening in Anakin's head or it's actually physically happening in the quote-unquote real world, this is a battle for Anakin's soul. That, like the text is very, very clear on that. Yes. The, the problem, or not the problem, the question that I have, right, is did Anakin make the right choice? He couldn't just leave his friends. He couldn't just leave Padme and the galaxy out of his, contr- out of his control, but by going back, he makes things worse. To me, it's, it's a lot like Luke going off to Cloud City and Empire Strikes Back. Did he make the right choice? Well, he needed to know about vader being his father to be able to redeem vader and help save the galaxy so in a way yes but han still frozen in carbonite he doesn't really save anybody and he learns his hero is actually his enemy so did he make things better you know it's it's something that's always going to be up for debate so i kind of want y'all's interpretation on did anakin make the right choice for to to leave or would he have been better served and have been able to better serve the galaxy by staying on Mortis? Or staying in Mortis if, if it's something that's happening in his consciousness? Can I go? Please do.
0: Okay. So I, I kind of see it as... I'm going to talk about a different show. <laughs> um, so I... I love uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yes,
1: I knew you were going here. <laughs> I can always count on you, Adrian.
0: <laughs> okay, and so I see, I see. It's a very similar like dilemma, like that. Aang faces at the end of the in the fourth season, you know, where the choices are: does he have to? Does he kill the Fire Lord? What it, what choices he make because he is like, I I've never killed before. And then you know, he he's in the spiritual realm. He's um talking with the past avatars and a lot of them are saying you need to kill him you need to you know they're this is what you need to be doing and he does he doesn't want to do that that goes against his nature um and ultimately he takes away his bending and he is able to bring justice to this without killing um and for me if it was a test um uh and especially hearing if it's a test from Obi-Wan um, it, I think he failed because he, he they, there's like this like do I kill him do I not kill him what am I supposed to do and they're like you'll know um, and he ultimately does kill the son um, and I think um, and then at the end like the the daughter's dead the father's dead the son they're all dead um, so Obviously, that's not ideal. Obviously, now if they were the three were required to be to keep and maintain balance, now there's no way to maintain the balance. Uh, So that's kind of um, where I stand. If if what you're saying is that it's um, like some sort of internal task um, by given to him by Obi Wan or Qui Gon.
1: Mm. See that's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because Father says to Anakin at the end, you have brought balance to this world, but everybody's dead. Dead. Yeah, I don't know. anyways. Uh, we can come back to that in a minute because I have, I have another question on that. but Lindsay, <laughs> where do you come down on on did Anakin make the right choice in leaving or should he have stayed and fulfilled the father's wish- wishes?
2: i think he actually did make the right choice um or at least the one that anyone else no matter how good or evil would have made with what was in front of them because the thing we always need to consider is the opportunity cost you know if he had made the other decision what would that have cost the galaxy at a whole so if we're saying that Yeah, it would have been great if he just stayed honor in Mortis and he took the, he he really picked up that torch and tried to bring balance to the force. Well, what goes on in the world outside of him? You know, does that guarantee that once he says, I'm here, there's balance, does Palpatine just die? Does Darth Sidious just go away? No, no. He knows that as, you know, Bill, you use this amazing term that I hadn't heard before a little earlier when talking about Ahsoka, but a servant warrior. I think in Anakin's head at this point, he is still a servant warrior and he knows that he is best served or he he can best serve others by going out and fighting for them. And that just sitting back and doing nothing, it's never going to guarantee that things will be better, and in his mind, the best way to make things potentially better is going and picking up that fight.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, it's hard to argue against going and, you know, fighting in the, the real world, you know, for, for what you believe in and the people you care about. It's, it's hard to argue against that even when, the consequences may not always be, uh, the outcome may not always be what you want it to be. So, Bill, to kind of wrap us up, you know, with that idea of, okay, Anakin goes out into the world, these mortis gods are dead, um, or at least this manifestation of them is dead. Do you think that, that the loss of these mortis gods, and maybe in some way if we interpret that as the loss of any real balance with the in Anakin is really what can we can link to to the rise of Palpatine and the Skywalker family and and uh, eventually Rey who takes on the Skywalker name. Did it leave this void in the force where these other characters, uh these other beings who are descendants of the force itself need
3: to step in? Um no, not really. Okay, no, no. No, <laughs> no I, I. mean, let, let, let me explain. Like, right, because, because, think about it. We had we have a bunch of episodes of the Clone Wars that take place before Mortis, and a bunch of episodes of the Clone Wars that take place after Mortis. Um, but, be, you know, between those two periods, in reality, nothing has changed, right? Um, you know the and that and that, that that's another reason why you know honestly just to be very blunt about it in my mind Mortis does not exist these characters don't exist uh, you know I think that this this ultimately is a is a dream of Anakin's and and in all dreams we wake up right so I don't believe that notwithstanding the structure of the dream I don't think it was ever possible for for Anakin to stay in you know to stay in Mortis I think um, I, I think this was a uh, uh, I, I think this was a, an encapsulation, right? a brilliantly constructed and illuminating encapsulation of the manner in which the competing sides of Anakin Skywalker battled for, for control. Uh, but I think what, what Mortis tells us is that that battle was lost a long, long time ago. And you know, it was lost before we got this manifestation and, and that's why when you know, the next episode in the Citadel, it's like it never happened, right? Because because the, the, the actual battle that was displayed out for us wasn't fought just just right then. It was it was fought a long time ago, right? And it and it wasn't and it wasn't fought in such a way that there's a tangible gap in reality after these manifestations were were destroyed. Um, you know I mean if they're as powerful as they're supposed to be in reality I don't understand what a dagger or, or a lightsaber is supposed to do to them anyway you, you know maybe well, maybe all daggers in Star Wars are just silly but um, <laughs> Wow I'll, 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 I'm sorry that the was so that was, a, that, was a, <laughs> that was a cheap shot no but I, but I, but I think you know what what the the placement of mortis tells us is you know we know enough about these characters we know about enough about their relationship to illustrate. Um, illustrate the Anakin Skywalker's entire failure, right? His entire his entire uh, inability to reconcile his guilt and his fear and his anger and his idealism and his hope uh, in such a way that he could maintain balance within himself. This this arc shows us uh, you know, what that what that looks like on a mythological and metaphysical level. Uh, And um, well, and uh, and uh, so no, I don't. I don't actually think of it as that these episodes had any tangible effect in the world at all. I I just don't see it.
1: No, that's that's fair. Mm -hmm. And I mean, honestly, like the as the conversation has gone on, I've kind of you know really come to like the interpretation of it happening in Anakin. And if we're if we're taking that point of view, right, then the father almost becomes Shmi. And, and him leaving her is what really allowed for the chain of events that would lead to him falling to the dark side, right? Because Palpatine doesn't... Well, I mean, it's debatable if Palpatine is able to become the Emperor and take over without Anakin, right? Anakin was kind of the, the linchpin, is how we're supposed to understand it in the story. And there's certainly an argument to be made that he could have found somebody else and all that. But let's just stick with the the context that we have. And Anakin leaving Shmi is is what starts the chain of events that eventually leads to the the imbalance in the force, the the empire rising and, and everything like that, right? And so I think that I think that makes a lot of sense to look at it as something that is going on in his subconscious because there's to, there's there's a phrase that has always kind of stuck with me um, that one of the pastors at my church said one time, and it's that the we use these words uh, we use our words to explain God, but but our words are never going to be enough because God is beyond the the words that we have in the human language, right? Like it could never do justice to it. And to me, if we look at that, if we if we use that idea that. In Mortis, you know, there's something higher in in Anakin's subconscious because he is a descendant of the Force, that manifests in these Mortis gods to help him understand it. But the Force is still even something bigger than these gods, be they real or not.
3: And that's it we're done. I stumped the panel. <laughs> hey, can, we, can, can, we uh, can we make one final point about these episodes and say that as a technical achievement? Oh, my God. Um, visually, musically, um, the voice acting.
0: Still can't uh, that, believe Liam Neeson came to do them.
3: <laughs> I know. It, I mean, it, it, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement of animation. Uh, and the... the the production team and the actors they have given us this the enormous gift to be able to have this conversation. So, salute.
1: And, I mean, Filoni always talks about how George Lucas trained him to treat animation like uh, shooting a feature film, right? In terms yeah. of you know, camera work and things like that and just the approach to it. And um, as I've had it on, you know, while we've been talking, there's shots in there that are just like you can... You can definitely link them to something that you would see um in in a movie theater and and not just because of the the you know mythological aspect or how grandiose it is but just the simple things like how they zoom in on uh you know the father's eyes right before his eyes shoot open in shock and things like that so absolutely i think mortis mortis is definitely uh it's it's a turning point for our characters or at least for anakin in, in a sense because this is when the force really gets out of balance but also in just the story of clone wars as a production uh this is a place where it really took off in terms of you know storytelling but also you know visual achievement and everything like that you have a few episodes before, with the Night Sisters and, and Heroes on Both Sides and stuff, where you really see a change in the animation and the storytelling style. But uh, Mortis, I feel like, was kind of that one where everybody realized, oh, okay, this is this is for real. This is not. There's no turning back. We're not going back to uh, to to season one silliness. We're we're in it. We're in the thick of the war. We're in the thick of the struggle, and uh, it's about to start hurting real good. All right, so that will wrap up our conversation uh, on Mortis, and we would love for you guys to share your thoughts on Mortis and uh, Clone Wars and and all our other conversations, and you, of course, can do that um, either emailing us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com or on Twitter at clashingsabers, or if you want to just participate in some fun Star Wars conversation uh, that both is both serious and uh, goofy sometimes over on our Facebook group. We do daily posts where we do things like memes. uh, We bring up topics for discussion. uh, We have you guys bring up topics for discussion. So make sure you head over there. It is clashing sabers, uh, star Wars clashing sabers. If you want to uh, join that group. So that's where you can find us. And of course our Patreon, which will be linked in the show notes, but, Uh, Adriana, uh, we kind of had a tease at the beginning of the episode of uh, what you got coming in Starships, but tell us what's going on on Starships.
0: Um, So I actually have uh, two episodes um, done. They just need some editing. Uh, The first one is actually kind of, uh, I guess, good timing. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But it's um, discussion about racism in Star Wars shipping. Wow, Uh, okay, I'm digging it. Uh, and then also, <laughs> like Lindsay said, we talked about an episode all about Qui-Gon and Shmi. Um, that was super fun to record. Uh, so those will be coming soon.
1: <laughs> and I forgot with, about the, uh, the Ahsoka Rafa ship that we need to do. So we need to get on that, too, because that's I'm here.
0: Yeah. Whenever you want to do that,
1: Let's do I'm it. down. all right Lindsay. tell everybody what you are doing right now what you're working on what you're looking forward to all that stuff
2: Uh, so, so this month uh certainly not about may um and it's also funny because i thought i would take a little break from all social media for a little bit just to focus on work um Obviously, that is the worst timing ever, so I'm probably going to be back online pretty soon. Um, so, assuming that I am, you can always get me at the Lady of Lore on Twitter. But mostly, you can find me, Brandon, standing next to you pretty soon. Um, I think I, I speak for everyone here on the team and for anyone in our Clashing Sabers family who knows, for those of you who don't. Um, Brandon is very, very lucky because he is marrying uh, Brooke this month. Brooke is a beautiful, beautiful human being inside and out. Um, she really is just the bee's knees. Um, so just want to congratulate you and let you know how excited we all are for you.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Bill, let them know Ooh. what's up with Happy Beeps, why they need to be over there, and how they can start keeping track of their collection.
3: Yeah, so come on out over to, to happybeeps.net. We're working very, very hard on a, uh, a facelift and a redesign and a whole bunch of new features that I'm hoping to get out uh, around the time that Star Wars Celebration is expected uh, to, or at least scheduled to happen. Uh, we'll see what actually uh, proceeds, but that's our... That's our target date is this August, uh, and we have a blast over there. Uh, and if I could, if you would indulge me, Brandon, uh, you, you know, w- with one last thought, I've got um, I have a lot of uh, a lot of good friends of mine and family that are uh, you know uh, in the process now of taking it to the streets uh, in in many ways to try to make this country and this uh, this planet a uh, better place. You know, I've also got a lot of friends that are in government, uh, you know, in law enforcement and education. And I just wanted to ask everybody out there, you know, stay stay safe, stay compassionate. Uh, you know, try to understand people that you wouldn't ordinarily understand. And uh, good luck to everybody.
1: And put the lessons of Star Wars into practice in your life. I think that's that's something we all sh- uh, really should keep in mind. So uh, very good, very good point to close on. But r- remember. Mortis might not have happened. This podcast might not have happened. It might all be a figment of your imagination. Ooh, but so the one up. thing that we know happened, even though it didn't happen, <coughs> is Batch 8. Hi ho. Come on, Adriana.
0: Sorry, I'm coughing. Hi ho.
1: <laughs> you couldn't have held it off for like three more seconds? <laughs>
0: Uh, I, I will tell my lungs next time. <laughs> Thank,
1: you. Thank you. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just used it for informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it. It's ours. They made it. It's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at Network at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for chief Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.